Hello, and welcome to Label Sessions Presents. Label Sessions is a global platform that connects you to the best advice for the most interesting people, whether you want advice, mentoring, or ideas. I'm Josh Nixon, content producer for Label Sessions, and in this episode, Maxine Mackey of Label Sessions talks to Will Case. Will is at the forefront of creative technologies to deliver world-class, story-driven experiences, be it in virtual production, in-camera visual effects or extended reality for live events and interactive experiences, including the ceremony of the 2012 London Olympic Games, Will has over 20 years of industry experience, continually proving his passion for the ever-developing craft. Over to Will and Maxine. Will Case, we are thrilled to have you as a guest um, today on the Label Sessions podcast. Um, we very much see you as an expert in bringing creative and technology together for kind of a first-of-a-kind projects. Um, could you introduce yourself to the Label Sessions audience, please, and share a little on your kind of a creative and, and, and leadership journey? I actually studied, I mean, my journey into this world has been sort of a bit, a bit unique in some respects. I studied as, a, um, as an animator originally in sunny Edinburgh and was very much looking for a life in sort of the animation world and design and that. And that's kind of taken me on an extraordinary journey into just lots of different markets um, from sort of basically I started out designing t-shirts as, as a living because there wasn't a lot of work around and that took me into computers and then from computers I kind of got into how to use computers and software and that got me into the whole digital boom and always at the center of it all was I was always interested in design, uh, design first and sort of creative storytelling. I always loved, I think that's what drew me to animation was it was all about storytelling and the way that you could tell a story in a different way to anybody else because when you do animation you do, it's, it's totally unique. And it's always stayed in the middle of what I've done, really. And that storytelling has sort of, I've always been interested in technology and how to, how to use technology to solve sort of creative challenges. And I've been very lucky enough to generally take on a lot of projects and things where people often would go, don't do that. Or, you know, it's probably not a good idea or oh, we don't know what we're doing. And, and that's a bit like a sort of a, a rag to, you know, to, to a bull to me. I absolutely strive and enjoy doing things that haven't been done before. And I mean that because it's all about collaboration and people and about bringing people together. And that part of it, the sort of camaraderie of working in collaboration is what gets me really, really excited. And that, and that sort of, it's, I've never been interested in having my name above the door. It's not kind of what I've ever been about. I've just enjoyed working with people and coming up with strange things and solving problems, not necessarily my own, and come in and working with great teams to do that. So that's sort of taken me on this journey through sort of straight content in broadcast television right through into this sort of live event. I ended up tripping into this world of live event and what they call experiential, which I know nothing about. I didn't even know it existed, really. And just loved it because suddenly I wasn't making content for a 16 by 9 screen I was making one that was 30 meters wide or in a you know, I think I did a job my first it was like in a 360 in a in a um I think it was an ice hockey stadium in Germany you know I'd never seen anything so suddenly walking to a stadium and seeing your work that size you know you're just like oh you know and they just suddenly wow this is incredible so I suddenly realized that this is quite an exciting place and that's just taken me that's kind of where I've stayed in that kind of live event space where I work as a creative sort of leader, really. And I sort of flip between creative and creative technologists. I run it, I work for a company called Creative Technology, because I suppose that's kind of what I am, a creative technologist. Um, but I love 
the creative side of it and what you do with technology. Technology should never lead the story. You know, you, you find the things to put together. So that's kind of taken me into all these different worlds, into sort of suddenly ceremonies of the Olympics through to now. I work in a lot, a lot of work in film, high-end virtual production, because that's all about technology and how you bring it all together and spend a lot of time with that. So I think storytelling is always at the heart of everything I've ever done because I enjoy that. If there's not a story, why are you you know, where are you going with it? And that, that's what I kind of latch onto. And then like pulling together technology to make it happen. Fab, amazing. And I'm going to be bold here, Will. I think that everyone listening will probably have seen work that you've had a hand in from, I'm thinking, you've done the the first animated safety video for British Airways that I know that was only a while ago, but that's had a, a huge amount of viewers, everybody, every day. Flying. Well, I'm in it. And- I'm in it. My son's in it. My oh. son's um, my son's teddy bears in it. <laughs> so love it. So you know, I mean, I think it's. Um, I mean, for me, that that's a really classic sort of. It. If you were going to sum up what I enjoy, that would be a classic. There is a project that no one wanted to do. Well, no one wants to do. They just couldn't see the excitement in it. I saw it as an anime. And my God, I can animate something that's in an aeroplane. You know, I think other people didn't see the excitement in that. I got really overexcited, and um, we ended up winning it. And I spent a year and a half, and I, you know, getting on and off aeroplane. I think that's the thing about it is, is that when you find out about a story, you then have to sort of get under the skin of why you're telling it. A safety film seems quite boring, but actually, when you get under it and you get in, you're suddenly working at the f- forefront of technology, stories around the airlines. You're meeting CEOs. You're meeting, you know, you're getting in off planes. You know, learning about how things work. You're all you're absorbing all this stuff. And um, I think often people say, I mean, I'm just like, I should be really good at pub quizzes. I don't know if I actually am, because I do know an absolutely useless amount of information about things, because you kind of have to learn. So I know a lot about planes, safety on planes. Don't sit next to me on a plane. That's what I'd say. You heard it here first. But you've done so many other things that people will have um, seen elements of. Like you mentioned the Olympics, the 2012 London Olympics ceremony as well. And I think that's What's really interesting about your world is you get to work in, I guess, things that consumers really get to interact with, as well as kind of a, you were mentioning your film work and being able to kind of a, create new ways of, I guess, of storytelling itself. Um, but it's quite unusual for so many people, I think, to have probably seen, and all of our listeners, I think, will probably have seen something that you've had a hand in designing. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, it is. I mean, I, I think... Um... Yeah, and I think that does excite me. I mean, as again, I mean, I, it's if I'm really honest, it's never about what I've done because something like something like ceremonies, Olympic Games. I mean, there are thousands of people involved in that, and I took a very small part in it, in in some respects. Um, but you know, I think we had a team of sixty animators working on it, and it was what a, what a project. I mean, that's got to be one of my career highlights because you've got a great client. It's the people. You know, it's the best client you could have. You know, the expectation to deliver something spectacular is a lot of pressure, but it's a lot of fun because you're pushing and doing things that never, again, that had never been done before. Um, and actually hasn't been done again since. Um, and to, to work with those incredible types of people is just a privilege. And I think I, if I'm really asked if I, most of the work, I, I see a lot of the work I do is a real privilege. I'm very lucky that I'm still got up every morning and think, my God, this is amazing. I'm such a lucky such a lucky bloke to be doing this you know it's such a great great industry and still be pushing the boundaries of what you can achieve you mentioned earlier that 
I think was the term you used, it was the um, experiential digital experiences. I think this, this, I guess this world of immersive digital experiences are really so powerful right now. I'm thinking about, like I read that, is it the Altonet at Tottenham Court Road? That's now one of the most visited um, exhibition spaces in London, um, more so even than the Natural, Natural History Museum. And then you've got the Sphere in Las Vegas, which is really creating this new space for, I think, musicians and artists performing to kind of both simultaneously perform their work, but also think about what that kind of a it, wider experience is for people. I guess like you're somebody that's always done these kind of a first of a kind projects, emerging the creative and, and, and technical. What what do you think is next in this space? Do you think do you think there is kind of a more innovation to come? Yeah, I mean, I think what's interesting, I think the sphere is a really good example of, you know, there's a lot of excitement around the sphere. And and there's a there's a sort of a huge spike in when everyone goes, wow, but then everyone says, why aren't we building these everywhere? Well, one, because they cost quite a lot of money and it'd be interesting to see where that goes. But I think what's interesting about the sphere is actually about how the audio has suddenly become part of the story. Very rarely do people talk about audio. And if you talk about true 360 immersive experiences, audio is a really essential part of it. And and just like you should be, a, it's like you know if you go to theatre, it's one of those ones that you can have all the lights off and you can start a theatre production and not see anything, and be immersed. And I think a lot of what we do is it is it is traditional theatre, it's storytelling. You know, the, the the sphere won't work if it doesn't have great stories to tell. If it can't keep up making incredible content experiences and audio experiences with it, it's going to be a very challenging thing because it's obviously lost quite a lot of money to make it. I think you can do that on a much smaller scale. I think what's really interesting is for me, the big move is real time. It's about real time technologies, which have been around for a while. Um, and you know, I was doing real time technologies back before 2000 in music gigs and stuff using Micromind Flash really badly. <laughs> it was, but it was this, this, this ability to create content that reacts in real time to what you're doing. That for me is a really exciting space because suddenly you having a connection with an audience or a visitor that they're getting an instant feedback on, that's, that's really exciting. And when you start bringing that together with content and audio and having this experience where you feel you've had a unique experience. So when you go through something, you come out the other side and this being unique to you, I think that's a really exciting space. And I think we're going to start seeing that. We're going to start seeing that with AI, the way that you can generate content. There's some very exciting things. I mean, you know, I think probably in the content creation world, generative AI is the best use I've heard for it is it's a great wingman or a co-pilot. You know, I think that's where it really sits at the moment, the creative, because I think people forget that creative people like to get together and do things. I think it's a great tool. But I think we're starting to play with things like, you know, how can you create content instantly of someone's reaction that is unique to them? I think that's a really exciting space. And I think that is where immersive is going to get very exciting. And I guess that means when you say if you're in a group and whether it's an exhibition or an experience, whatever it is, if each of you have had a slightly different experience, like the the debrief after will be so different. I think it's really about sharing, oh, this is what happened for me rather than what did we all three objectively think of the painting? Yeah, and how do you take an experience away with you? I think that would be quite interesting to, you know, how, how you, you go and visit something and you do something or you contribute. And I think often 
we use what we call digital postcards, which are sort of ways that when you, you're captured within an environment, it then follows up with you. But I think there's a way now, how, how do you connect that experience back again? So you keep going backwards and forwards and keep a much more sort of connected to, to the experience. And I think there's a lot of that sort of technology that's being explored at the moment. And obviously we've just seen the explosion or an explosion, however we want to call it, of the metaverse. Um, you know, and I think that's what it was trying to do in a, in a way. I don't, I don't, I think people got the metaverse wrong. I think it's not a, the metaverse is not a destination. It's a way of interacting. It's a way of experiencing something. Which I don't think is completely defined. That's my opinion on it. I may be wrong on that, but I think I had someone talk about it the other day like that, and I thought that's quite a nice way to put it. I think a lot of people see it as a destination, and that's why it hasn't quite got the traction, perhaps that everyone thought it would. That's interesting. I didn't think about it like that. Talk to me about what it's like to always start with a blank sheet of paper for a project and do something new and to push boundaries because. I'm being nosy now, but what is it in your brain that's wired to take on these challenges? We've talked about first of a kind and and, and new things always, but um, yeah, what? How is your brain wired to always pick up projects that have a blank sheet of paper? I don't know. I think that's quite. <laughs> I, I, Sorry, I, no, no, no. I, I, this, this, this is a great question. I, I, I'm very instantly excited about things. I, I don't think I'm not one of those people who kind of things grow on. You know what I mean? I kind of get and get right. I'm a, you know, I get it. And so, some if someone explain something to me or their challenge or I've sort of I sort of get quite excited very quickly my brain starts going and thinking well what about if we do oh god we do this and do that and what I've always found is that the starting with the blank paper is actually the most exciting bit because you're suddenly going oh god, I don't I could go anywhere with this and I think I've always enjoyed the challenge of not knowing where I'm going to go because that adds so much that adds so much fun to it for a start because you've then got to bring other people in and try and work it out you can't do it yourself but you can spark things and then bring other people in they can contribute or you follow them there's no sort of, you know what i mean and that sort of brings in this great collaboration of working with fantastic people who can all just make this magic happen i think let's hold on to that kind of collaboration piece for a minute because you work with creatives technologists and then also people from big brands who have often entrusted you and your teams to tell their story and the story of the brand and and bring i guess that brand ethos to life in some What's your approach to like nurturing talent in that space? Because um, I like I get a sense of that kind of excitement from the blank sheet of paper and and getting other people excited to get them on board. But I'd love to know about how you kind of nurture talent and because you're often bringing together you know creatives and technologists who you know I don't think that necessarily people are all kind of a left or right brain thinkers. You know, I'm just very interested in your observations from working with, you know, creatives, technologists, and, you know, how you nurture those, the, the, you know, those talents in this quite often challenging environment, you know, trying to do something new it hasn't been done before. You can go and talk to someone who's an expert in a thing, but they've not necessarily, they can't tell you how to do your idea. Yeah, it's very... I think sometimes also if when you're working with external people as well, say to your own group, lots of different people, sometimes people can be protecting their own, you know, what their own offer in a way, which is quite, quite right because people are being brought in to do that. I think for me, my most success is when I just let people get on with it. 
I think I've always believed in the creative world. There is absolutely no point in hiring a creative director and not letting them be a creative director. You've, you've got to let someone off the leash. You've got to let them go and experiment. If you just tell them what to do, one, it may not be right because you may not have the right answer, but secondly, you've never let them go and explore and actually kind of think things through and actually go and talk. I always say to people, just go and talk to people. Go and absorb. Don't come up with an answer straight away. Go and take time to think things through and then tell the story back. And then if, if we don't get it or it doesn't get then then we'll then we'll revisit it. But I think you've got to be able to put it into into some sort of story to narrate it back. Because that's basically what we do as a business in the creative industries. We have to tell stories to clients and get them to believe it. Which they've often told us the story at the start. And then we've got to tell it back to them in a different way to get them excited. This podcast is brought to you by Label Sessions, the global platform that connects you to the best advice from the most interesting people. Around the world, we work with brands to connect their people to true leaders, just like the people you hear on this podcast, for live sessions of advice, mentoring, or sometimes to collaborate on ideas. To find out more, visit labelsessions.com and book in for a demo with our team. Typically, I guess they could have been working for that kind of a brand for like 10 years, 20 years, and, you know, entrusting in, in someone else to tell that story. And what advice would you give to people who are brand side, who are commissioning creative agencies or creator or commissioning work? How can they get the best out of their creative partners? Because um, you mentioned something around just now around making, letting a creative director be a creative director. But I think that you've probably sat in many rooms where people from brand side don't know where to draw the line, perhaps. I, I don't know um, how to say it, but. I think this is an interesting thing around how do you let a creative director be a creative director? What does it mean? And it's often like, when you do it badly, what does that look like? And what advice would you give to people from brand side and brand leaders internally on how to get the best out of commissioning creative work? I've always believed in, in the partnership. You know, if you, if you, you know, pitching is always a very tenuous thing because Often you kind of know, you meet people, you know the business of what they do and you want to work with them. And then you have to go through a pitch process, which can be a bit strange when you just go, can we not just work with these people? And I think you've got to, as a brand, you've got to have belief in beyond what someone's telling you in a room. Because the reality is you, you're often not given very much time to, to pitch or talk to people. And so you, you've got to go with your gut. And I think you've also got to let people in. I think you've, I think... A, someone like a creative a creative director is such an extraordinary position. It's a privileged. It's such a privileged place to be because you get exposed to, to extraordinary things, and it's a very it's a very stressful place to be as well because you've got to deliver. But I think the more you can take the agency and the people you're working with on the ride with you, and be as open minded and working with them and collaborate with them, the better you're going to get from it. The ideology, you just go, go away, come back with some stuff and come back and I expect you to have answered it, is is not really the way to do it. I think what you've got to do is choose the people you want to work with, whichever, however you get there, and then work with them to get there. Because they can't know, as you said, if you've worked on a something for 10 years, you know, you, you kind of, the, the excitement of, for my excitement of being creative, when someone says, right, we're going to launch a supercar. And you're working with a team on it. You're like, God, this is the coolest job ever. I'm working on a super... I want to go and meet the car designer. I want to go and play around with the supercar. You know, I want to go and do that. And that, that for me, is why I love that. I'm excited by that stuff. 
And actually, if you can do that, you're going to get more out of those people, you know, by getting them involved in the stories, get them excited about what they're going to do. Because you, you, unless, unless, you know, hopefully you're as excited about it as a client about what you're about to do and then get the teams with you are going to be as excited with you. We, you've mentioned a few times around the importance of storytelling and the role of storytelling. I'm thinking around people who are looking to, it might be grow, kind of develop or step up in their career. When How can you cultivate better storytelling? Like, I guess, I don't know if it's like an antenna. Like I'm comparing this to futurists we talked to at, at the label and they, they talk about really being attuned to signals in the world and understanding how to translate them either into an insight and a learning or um, being able to say, actually, that's a false signal. And what I think is interesting around the futurists is very much around staying, um, you know, it's around reading, it's staying connected with what's happening um, and seeing how, I guess, um, the, the plates are spinning and I guess what plates drop. I suspect there's a similarity with how to cultivate storytelling, but I guess... From your perspective, with the teams that you've worked in, do you have any advice for people on how to either become a better storyteller themselves or what to look for? I mean, I, I can go through my own part. I mean, I think I changed dramatically in what I was doing when I got to a point, I was I was very interested in the making and doing and sort of trying to do everything. And it's quite hard to try and do everything. And... What I got to a point where I was that I joined a very big, uh, big agency called Imagination, and I suddenly got thrust into this sort of big, I think, global auto shows. It was. I nearly killed myself because I was trying to do everything. I was trying to write script. I was trying to, you know, and, and I literally just fell over. And, and my creative director at the time came up, and he was like, "You don't, you know, you don't have to do this. You know, you can work with anybody and talk to anybody. You don't have to do it yourself." And I think to what you're saying about picking up those signals about people around. That's why that if you want to improve or you want to open your mind, you've got to be prepared to work with other people. And when you work with other people, you pick things up. So the thing I've always done, and I've always had a real pleasure, I'm not worried about going through a door. If someone opens a door, I'll go through it and have a look. And I'll go, mm, don't like it in here, I'll go somewhere else. <laughs> do you know what I mean? But I'm, I'm, quite, I'm quite happy to go and explore things and go, do you know what? ah, this is rubbish, throw it away. And I think one of the best things you can do as a creative is not always think that your idea is the best idea. So actually you can nurture creativity and someone else go and come up with an idea with this as a team. It doesn't have to be your idea. And when you suddenly realize that the pressure doesn't have to be on yourself, it can actually be a collaborative thing and come from a group of different things. You might be the one who aggregates it and puts it together but actually the fun bit is when you kind of feel you've got justification or you've got from other people contributing to it, that suddenly makes it really exciting. Now, that's just me. That, that's what I like. Now, some people, they want to be that center and be that person who's going to, that's not the way I am. I've never really got a thrill out of that. I think the thrill for me has always been about working with lots of really interesting people. And suddenly you're you're working with some incredible sounds. You know, if I, I don't write audio. I've just done a, you know, experience we've just done in Edinburgh, actually, for the Scotch whiskey experience. You know, to to go and work um, and bring together all those teams of different people to do that, from 3D artists to animators to um, a, a wonderful guy called Benji Merrison, 
who does a lot of stuff on the BBC for um, uh, not Green Planet Earth, you know, the BBC series. And I've worked with him before in the past on a few things and asked him if he'd like to do it. And he's what he's created is just unbelievable. Can you can you bring to life a bit of the um, whiskey experience, please? It's a it's a three um, room experience. Actually, it's, it should be about to open. And the idea is you go through the journey of origins of whiskey. Mm-hmm. and then into the making of whiskey and then into maturation, how it's matured. But what we've done is you it's a, 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 an immersive experience each room. So the first room you are in the origins and you end up going to the centre, into the glens and the rims, one through the weather. And then you go in and you actually have a sort of front row seat of it all being of how whiskey is distilled. And then you go into a barrel and you basically get, the barrel gets filled up with liquid and you're inside it as it matures. So the idea is, is we're trying to find an engaging way of telling a story that isn't that just feels more immersive than that you're in it. So when you walk, what, storytelling is all about how do I make, how do I get my point across in a very short, I mean, how do you get across whiskey making in 15 minutes from end to end? That's quite a challenge. When it takes 18 years to happen. <laughs> exactly, when it takes 12 years. And it's like, because I, I thought I knew a bit about whiskey and this is, this is why I love my job because I go and I spend time with whiskey. I spend time with the um, the CEO of whiskey and and just learn all this wonderful yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and and I suddenly I know I, I feel it as a gift actually that someone's given me that piece of knowledge that I can go and experience actually how whiskey is made right at the source and and talk to some wonderful people about it. Quite like whiskey as well, which is all right. I quite like going to distilleries too, but they happen to often be on remote islands, so it's um, a, a bit of a tick box exercise for me yes remote holiday oh there's a whiskey distillery too oh, we can go there <laughs> i know <laughs> i think you must have been part of many different creative critiques um tech reviews and things like that in your working life what makes a good critique do you think and i'm just curious if there's something that you think it's, it's, i don't know if something from your experience that people should kind of start doing or stop doing or what are ways in which either you critique your team or in the i guess the partnerships that you work with that happens um i don't know if you get asked about critiques that much yeah but it's, I mean, a, it's a bit around the process and lifting that the, i'm trying to lift the engine up a bit will and try and understand how you progress things and when you've got different design territories and different ideas what's that process like yeah you've got to see it as a whole and if you, if you take something like that, like like a, a visitor attraction, or you've got to you've got to somehow be able to see the whole project as one from end to end, which is really difficult when you do things digitally because it's either stuck in a deck or it's stuck in people's mind. So somehow, and I learned this actually from working with some great creative directors in some of the big agencies I've worked for, and it's this moment where you've got to do a show and tell, almost like old school, back up on the wall, actually, and it's really interesting. You, you all come together. And everyone stands there and looks at it, and you all immediately go, oh, yes. <laughs> and normally then that person comes in the room, creates data, and uh, tells you it's all rubbish and we're all going to fail because it's, because it's not connected. And I think that it goes back to storytelling. You should be able to look at something from the start and feel that's come from the same hand all the way through. And I think that's the, the thing I always try and get across with is continually be going back and questioning what you're doing but not in a critical, harsh way, but just keep looking at it and simplifying and simplifying and simplifying. Because at the end of the day, you've got to explain that to somebody. So this 20, 30 year of how whiskey's made, how do you get that down into a 15 minute experience 
that doesn't just happen in one go. That happens in one phase of discovery into a phase of then, you know, the next phase and then and then slowly getting it down and distilling it, ironic, um, but into a into a story that you think anybody could do. And that's why people always do the, um, you know, the lift pitch. You always talk about, you know, can you tell me this in, in, a, in, in, I don't know, 30 seconds, 30 or seconds. Here. What is it where you do, which is always really difficult. Um, but really that's what you've got to do when you tell your stories and, and get it across. And so often creativity is about taking complex stories or narratives and then trying to put, to put them into a way that you can get it across quickly in a simplistic way. I'm not sure how you're going to feel about this, but when you're talking there about really stripping out the core of the story, it makes me, th it reminds me of listening to podcasts with Rick Rubin, the producer, and he calls himself a reducer and he's a, a he, he's right. all about um, yeah. taking things out and stripping things down. I think he calls him a butch himself a reductionist. Um, anyway, I think that's really interesting because when he says when people are working with him, they're actually, he doesn't operate any of the kind of a technology he doesn't play an instrument but people are investing in his taste and trusting his taste and knowing what to take out and what can be removed and i think that you remind me of rick rubin will case oh wow thank you <laughs> but i think you do you have to be you have to be that conscious i think if i if i was really to sum up what my job a lot of the time is and over the last sort of public career has been is exactly that you're 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 you're, you're the overseeing eye to just look and just say, well, okay, is this actually, does this all connect? Does this actually make sense from all the way through that you can, because often, un unfortunately, or for, I don't know, I, I, I am, and I'm having to pitch a lot of things. So I have to stand in a room and believe what I am saying. Or pretend, well, or try to, you know, do my best to convince somebody in this room that this is what we're going to do. And I, I love it. I absolutely that for me that is one of the most exciting things about my job. I think is is that that moment of the to get in and actually all that hard work is to is to try and showcase it to someone else and then believe in it and be excited about it and get them excited about all the hard work that's been done. But I think reducers are really good. It's a great. Because it is. He's just actually released a book that I might have to send you. So thank oh, you yes. for this. Um, it is, it, <laughs> I haven't finished it yet, but it's, 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 it's good so far. And he's done, I think, a two or three hour podcast with like Lex Friedman. I did manage to listen to most of that. Um, it was a long drive. Um, <laughs> I'm going to move to some of our quick fire questions now. Um, where do you go for inspiration for your day job? And also, I guess, just to feed your creative brain. Um, it's going to sound a bit boring. I walk my dog. I actually like uh, the. I have to. My brain does go at three thousand miles an hour. It's an absolute. My wife often says she if she tries to keep up with everything that I was thinking or doing, she'd like have a. And I do have a very active brain, so I actually find I I need to walk away. From things, I'm 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 quite good at it. I just sort of go right, add enough, and I and I just walk out, and um. I, I just need space and I often find things come to me by not trying too hard. So I sometimes have to go and do something completely different. And and that for me generally helps me. I just need the space. I'm, I'm a very fast worker. Once I get going, I can do, you know, generally in the I'll do a day's work in two, three hours. 
thinking, you know, and then I sit, I'm exhausted <laughs> or I'm done. You know, so I, I kind of like to do it like that. I'm not one of those people who used to work till three in the morning. You know, some people just work well. I'm, I'm just not really the way I've ever done it. I've, I kind of like see it. I can grab onto it and then I just go. Um, can you describe your desk for us, please? What's it like? It's quite messy. Is it? <laughs> Yeah, uh, it's uh, yeah, it's got a lot of equipment on it. <laughs> we have a lot of um, a lot of tech, yeah. Um, and I um, I generally have a lot of lot of pads, pens, um, lots of different pens everywhere. Oh, I need to ask you this: What's your pen of choice? I bet you have one. When I worked imagination, I was very scared because they they're architects and they all they draw everything, and um, I was. I hadn't drawn for ages. And so I just, I literally went home and I practiced. I got a pen, I just practiced, 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 because my drawing was so bad. And they could come in and tell a whole story, just and draw it out. And I'd be like, ah. so I had to go home and practice because mine was so bad. And I, ever since, I, 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 I religiously just draw rubbish, absolute rubbish. It's good. You've got to keep your hand in, otherwise oh. you, you lose your hand. You need to keep that connection. Yeah. So but I, I've also always really worries me when people can't get an idea across without drawing it. What does it? Or not? I find it quite challenging when someone's just trying to describe something and they just can't hands. Me. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, it's I not really the dance like, class. Yeah, it's it's one of the arts actually. A lot of people don't draw. It's just a shame. Or even how bad it is. My drawing's rubbish. It's Mr. Blobby people. You know, it's not. Um, it's not elegant. <laughs> Will Case, explain fizzy milk. Did you have a bad experience as a child? No, no. Fizzy milk is a is potential. It is something. It we uh, we talk about it is 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 the future. I as children, my brother and I used to try and make fizzy milk, and it used to make us vomit. <laughs> and um, we then have had a lifelong dream of trying to make it. And actually, what we do with it now is we just have a bit of fun. We design wacky t-shirts. My kids design some as well. We have a little website called fizzymilk.com and we just put t-shirts up there. And it's just a bit of fun, really. And we just make stickers, hats, baseball caps, uh, t-shirts, and we just have a lot of fun with it. And I get asked, and it frustrates. It's brilliant. The rest of my family get so frustrated by it. They're like, but it, but it's it doesn't it's not anything. It doesn't make any money. And we're like, yeah, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> You know they that's can't so they can't see the joy in it because obviously that's what we do all day is is work with brands and things. It's basically just a bit of fun. It's my own little silly brand uh, for having a bit of a laugh with speedboats for everybody. And um, yeah, in another life, what would your career be? I had actually. Do you know what? When I did when I was a kid, you know, you do the the um, personality uh, the, profile the job advice thing when you're yeah. A, yeah when you're at school. I think mine came up. I'm pretty sure it was optician or shoe designer. Okay. Yeah. So I don't could know. Could that? I, the weird thing after that, I did have a think, God, you know, I could be a shoe designer. I was absolutely rubbish. Absolutely. <laughs> On draw shoes. <laughs> absolutely. I've got to be in recession with trainers, actually. I'm a bit of the Imelda Marcus of trainers, so maybe that's where it rubbed off on. Yeah. A lot of trainers. <laughs> And you wear glasses too, so. And I wear, hey, do you know what? That's a good point. I hadn't really maybe. thought about it. Maybe um, they were they were onto something. Yeah. Um, how would you describe your leadership style? I think I'd I'd like to always think that a bit of fun, trying to keep it sort of fun and in, engaging. I am I am quite 
I say hands off in some respects. In I do I do really like to let people evolve and and come up with their stuff and and work that way. Um, I'm I try and get people to look at things in different ways, and I think because as I said, that's the kind of thing that really I'm really ex sort of enjoy is about connecting things that aren't there. So I try and get people to do the same. Um, I try. I think I'm, I often get, I'm quite relaxed. Do you know, I'm not, I'm not, I, I have worked in the creative industry for a long time and I have worked with some absolute demons. You know, some people who are the proper old school creative shouters. You know, which almost the sort of slightly aggressive side of the creative industries and really does not work with me at all. And I think, so I've always believed in trying to empower people. I think is probably my favorite way of putting it. I, I really believe in that. And I and I also believe it's okay to fail. I really do. I think failure is, is a great thing because I think it gets you to think about things different ways as well. Um, I'm quite, I'm very driven, you know, about doing good work. I think that, and that I do, I have someone said to me the other day actually, and I, I suppose it's true, I do expect a lot from people. And I, I don't know if that's a good or bad trait, but I generally see something in people if I'm working with them and I, I want to get, I, I can see it. Do you know what I mean? And I really want to get that out of them. What was the first work thing that you were really proud of? Probably, sounds strange to say, it's probably when I first started designing t-shirts because I saw people in them. That's quite cool. It's quite unusual to see it in real life. And it was quite a weird thing to suddenly, to see what... Well, this is quite funny, actually. You know, you're saying about people have seen my work, right? So they're actually, they've been relaunched, actually. They've apparently gone quite big in Japan, um, some well t-shirt size, but because uh, all the old retro 90s sort of rave stuff's coming out. And about, I must be about 10 years ago, I was in Tottenham Court Road, I think it was, and I saw a guy in one of my t-shirts, and I got one called Transcendental Records, and it's this, um, it's a monk spinning a record on his finger, on his sort of chilling out with his thing. It's quite a cool little t-shirt. And um, so I ran, I couldn't, I ran up to him and I was like, wow, <laughs> that's my t-shirt. I said, you've got my t-shirt on. And when I designed, and he said, yeah, I got it from a charity shop. <laughs> and I was trying to say, he didn't like go, hey, this is my favorite shirt. But um, but yeah, it's a couple of them have been re-released actually, which is quite fun. Um, and that was quite something, uh, seeing your, yeah, people going around in my T-shirts. And then I did a couple of album covers and people seeing that. And that was quite interesting because you say about, am I, do I, am I, do I have an ego? Of course you have an ego. You have to have an ego of some sort, you know, to, to be, be in the creative industries, whatever it is. I, I'm, I'm not very good at taking praise in a weird thing. I, I seek it, but when I get it, I don't like it. It's quite funny. It's a really weird thing. My kids are the same, actually. It's really odd. Like, but I, you know what I mean? Like, like that. I'm really excited. Look, someone's got, but if I see a song, I'll be a bit like, oh, I'm, I'm a bit embarrassed about it. You know, it's sort of, I don't, you know, it's funny. But I think that, and then obviously the BA stuff was a big, big turning point in seeing that. Last question. And it's something that we ask everybody. On a scale of one to 10, Will Case, how weird are you? I think I'm quite weird, actually. You know, with, I, I think 10 weird. Are you saying 10's weird? Once ten, wow. Okay. Well, I don't know. I don't know. We started this conversation about quirky, <laughs> so maybe <laughs> I think I'm probably a seven. Okay. I think to other people, I'm probably yeah. You sure? Seven. Well, you think I'm like? 
So just teasing you. We're nine point five. <laughs> Will, thank you so much for your time today. It's been such a pleasure to kind of uh, uh, lift the lift the lid and really understand a bit more about how the what it's like telling being a storyteller in between the kind of a creative and kind of um, tech world. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you. Okay, it's been a pleasure. So concludes another episode of Label Sessions Presents. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast no matter your platform of choice. And of course, start your journey today with us at labelsessions.com.